Welcome to What You Reading, Dude. It's Jamie, Lauren, and Lisa. This is our time to catch up and share what we've been reading and inspired by, hoping to stir some deeper conversations. No one person has time to read every book or listen to everything, but we figure this is a good way to trade ideas, expand our horizons, and maybe inspire you as well. Just a reminder, this is for us, this is for fun, and we are not experts. Enjoy! on the trail for 11 days which may or may not be part of an episode but re-entering normal society after being out on the trail has been really difficult yeah like being not having cell reception and then coming back to like overload news Ugh, everything falling apart at all times have you yeah. found that you've just been deep diving or have you found that you're it's easier to put your phone away neither <laughs> okay. okay I'm just like I'm overwhelmed but I'm also like glued I feel like I'm glued to my phone which is annoying mm. I'm always hoping to have like a different lifestyle when I come back but it's just not really possible there's just too much going I've on I've been there I mean I'd love to throw my phone in a drawer during the day but like work needs to get a hold of me by phone so mm. <laughs> it's not possible yeah. it's hard to to try to stay informed and have it not just consume you. I try to do more than just headlines, but sometimes that's all that you can really go with. And sometimes the articles, like, you'll dive into them and then you're like, I mean, that was basically covered in the first paragraph, you know? <laughs> the efficiency of time gets to me sometimes, too. Coming back to, like, a week and a half's worth of news was really hard. Like, it's amazing to kind of think about how much news we participate in every day and you really see it when you've been gone for a week and a half because you're like oh my gosh it feels like I'm light years behind everyone right as far as like wait what like there was an earthquake in Haiti didn't know that for several days being back here like <laughs> stuff I happening like, everywhere yeah. and it's like I don't what are the new COVID guidelines I don't I'm confused <laughs> I barely even knew that there was an earthquake in Haiti because so much was unfolding and there were so many developing stories, you know? It was like, oh, okay, I guess something happened over there. Okay, good to know. Yeah, I didn't even think about how much had happened since you were gone. Don't know if you two feel this way, but I, <laughs> I'm just like, man, I wish we could just slow down a bit as a human race, you know, but... We're just full speed ahead on this treadmill. Yeah. So. I'm like constantly <laughs> torn between people decades ago didn't know what was happening happening worldwide. And so they didn't experience as much exhaustion that comes with knowing what's going on mm -hmm. all over the world and the tragedies that happen every day. But at the same time, it's like now that I know that it's happening, I can't not tune in. I can't just be like, I only listen to local Seattle news. <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like um, your options are, like, your only option would be no news. You have to, yeah. like, full turkey it or you're but sucked then, in. <laughs> like, is that as a deeply <laughs> Right. As, like, a deep, deeply empathetic human and, like, a human that needs to feel the humanity and be connected in some way. It's, like, that would be also really hard. <laughs> I think that's a difficult like back and forth that I go through is an overload of information, but also thank goodness these stories are being told. And then I guess there is a third part of that of just feeling powerless, like knowing information, hearing people's stories, wanting to be able to help or have like your country do something or whatever entity do something about it and then feel the limitations of your effectiveness. Some of that is like a little self-limiting. Like I could be reaching out to my congressperson a lot more, you know, but I would say overall just where we are in the state of the world right now, it's a lot of complicated feelings. <laughs> and it's hard to not feel like, oh, another thing's happening and being like, I can't pay attention to this thing too. Like I feel like I'm being torn in so many ways. Like every humanitarian crisis is important. Same with climate change. I, I mean, I really feel that exhaustion there, too, like w with both kind of general categories and 
I remember feeling really overwhelmed in high school once, just feeling like it's all so important and needs to be addressed. And I talked to a friend about like, I just don't know how to have an impact, you know, when so much is happening. And, you know, he was like, you know, just kind of focus on one thing at a time. And I remember Hassan Minaj gave similar advice at the end of, I think, his latest season on his web series on Netflix was like, there's so much going on. And if you need a way to limit, like control it, pick like three topics that you're going to kind of stay engaged with. And then just that's okay. That's kind of what I go back to. And I forget what I was listening to recently. But it was like, just because I pick like one effort to like put my Mm. time and my effort towards like this is maybe it's three things. Just because I pick three things doesn't mean it's like the most important three things in the world. It's just like that's how I can devote my time. But it's kind of like even within cancer it's like just because I like want to devote a bunch of time and effort towards like putting money towards breast cancer doesn't mean that like prostate cancer is not important it's just that another person can devote their time to that and I only have so many resources and I've decided breast cancer is the thing I want yeah totally but like if we spread ourselves too thin that's not gonna solve any problems either no (laughs) but it's hard to not see all these problems and be like I'm only one person, and I don't. <laughs> yeah, I feel overwhelmed for sure. I am overwhelmed. Yeah, especially when you see the urgency behind mm-hmm. each of them. You know, you're like, I don't want to pick what's like more important. They're all important. <laughs> all <laughs> right. Kind of a serious topic to start. I know. We can <laughs> all right, just wait. So cancer. Next, we're going to who's starting the this the week. So we are discussing today our second round of bingo picks to help refresh everyone's memory, or maybe you missed the episode, who knows. We have been playing around with the Seattle Public Library's summer adult book bingo, and in this latest round of book picks, we essentially picked a genre for each other, and so we'll be talking about those today. And I will be starting us off. And so the coin picked speculative fiction. <laughs> well, <laughs> I picked fi- speculative and fiction Jamie, for They you. collabed. The coin yeah. decided. <laughs> speculative fiction is a huge umbrella term for a lot of kind of sci-fi, alternative history, even like dystopian genres. There are a bunch of genres within speculative fiction in general. And so I think think the idea is that speculative fiction like it's a it can be a departure from reality but I read one definition that said it does still have some grounds of reality in it versus like a full fantasy maybe a departure that could be incorrect speculative fiction could like have all of fantasy in it but I'd say the book that I picked fit within that there's definitely some reality baked into it but it's science fiction for sure and so I have been curious about Afrofuturism and so I checked out some articles some recommendations and landed on the book After the Flare which is book number two in a series with the first book being Nigerians in Space. Okay, Ooh. okay so the author for this series is Deji Olukodum and uh, I really don't know much about the authors in this genre. This is a new world to me. And so I just jumped in and I also didn't read book one. So the article I read with some recommendations, one of the main ones that steered my decision, said that, you know, you should read book one. But if you jump in just book two, you know, you won't miss a beat. And so far, I feel that way, but I also haven't read number one. So, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm necessarily missing major plot points yet. But I should also say, as of this recording, I have also not finished the book yet. So I this will be fine. continuing to read this in an upcoming trip. And if we work it into an episode, I would love to give a like a, a round two uh, review yeah. once I finish it. But Awesome. So let me jump into it. This book is called After the Flare, and it's all about a solar flare that is so big it hits the earth and essentially wipes out all electricity, telecommunications, basically anything cabled, wireless for 
essentially the entire world. And so you enter in on some astronauts at the International Space Station witnessing it happening and being affected by it. And you enter on an emergency evacuation of everybody except one astronaut that's left to, I guess, maintain functions of the ISS, especially because like all the systems in almost the entire world go down and yet the ISS was still partially functioning. And so I think there was merit in the moment to keeping an astronaut there. But fun little spoiler, but you know, this is within chapter one, so you're not going (laughs) to, it's not a huge spoiler. The astronaut that's left has a romantic partner that is basically the commander at the control station. And so she promises to the astronaut Masa that's on the ISS, like, we'll come back for you. We will get someone up here as soon as we can. And, you know, they're like, I think the idea was there might be enough supplies for her to last like six months up there. And then you cut to a year later. And so you jump into this world where all the major Western powers like crumbled like they like and okay what was crazy to me is as I was reading this I had to go check the copyright date because it felt like exactly what we went through last year and this was written in 2017 and so it even though it was like a solar flare it was just the same like essentially momentary wave around the world that just stopped everything and so (laughs) that space mission to go save that astronaut has not happened yet because like the U.S. for example like they just completely crumble under the stress and they divide they get really divisive you have these like entities like the Wallers who are people who go storm the border to head south Because fun note, the only countries and areas that actually had any power or communication stay intact were in parts of Africa and Latin America. And Mm. so you have a complete switch of like people who were, you know, in these quote unquote first world countries are now fleeing to go to where there's Internet electricity and just any semblance of society those who didn't they're like silicon valley in the ultra rich just made their own fortress basically of an area and hired people to be security and have all these ai bots to keep people out but like they can't even necessarily function like they have all this technology but they can't make basic needs you know like oh it was so spot on like (laughs) kudos to olukorong because like this scenario just played out so realistically in a way and it's very much science fiction but i don't know it feels more like a cautionary tale rather than uh (laughs) anything else so for where i am in the story now i'm a i'm like five chapters in and so you're with this this man named bracket and he is an american with i want to say like nigerian heritage he has like mixed heritage because i think he's also part seminal and that only came in to the story because he was working with NASA in the natural buoyancy lab. So basically like simulating the ISS like conditions and helping astronauts train. He was doing that in the U.S. And then after the flare, you know, the NASA like crumbled like, you know, the rest of the country and he lost his job. And so he found out that Nigeria, they were working on a space mission to go save Masa. And then there were some Indian astronauts and aeronautic engineers that came and joined forces. And so he applied and tried to get over to join the Nigerian, just like the mission. And you had to pass a certain diaspora, like qualification to get in. And I think he failed it to some extent, but then there was an exception that I think allowed him to go. And so so you enter on him helping lead the creation and the engineering of this massive water tank that's going to simulate the entire ISS for them to train for this huge rescue mission. And the woman who is like the commander at the time of the flare, she is in charge now too. She's like head of controls as well. And I think there there's a question that's starting to run in my mind of like, so why are they putting so much effort into this? Like, is it love? Is it 
national press like is it a power like you know what's leading all of this but you have added complications of things are starting to go awry a construction has not been smooth there have been miscommunications things are not coming on time the length of cabling isn't coming anyway there are all these issues and they're running up on like a time frame that they're trying to meet so you feel the pressure you feel these power dynamics in play and then you also still get like you get colorism as well because you have Brackett who is leading these operations and he's fairly light skinned and all his subordinates are dark skinned and and then you have even like people from different tribes so there's a bit of tribalism and they have this tech like one of the sci-fi features is there's this gecko phone so it's a phone that acts like a gecko like it can walk around and I think it's solar powered or thermal powered so it'll like crawl over to a lamp to heat up but then like you use that for everything much like we do now but what was crazy that I just read today is you can actually change your identity with the phone and change like what country you identify with or your ethnicity and it's to help minimize violence and tribalism so it's like a safety precaution. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's a lot happening here. I'm so intrigued. And they may or may not be building on like a sacred ancient site. Some they mysterious are. things have happened. Like some guy, <laughs> like he ran away with this. They found this old piece of pottery and some guy like runs away with it and then disappears. And there's just a puddle of blood. And you're like, what happened? And like... No one understands what happened and the people in power are like just erase the fact that this ever happened. We don't need anything slowing us down. So there's there's just so much happening. It's very intriguing. I, I don't know if I mentioned it, but this is not my go to genre. And so it was a little difficult for me to pick a book at first because I think yeah. Yeah. if people are like retelling sci fi, I get really I'm really interested, but it's hard for me to willingly read it. Yeah, I was right going to ask. Yeah, yeah, more about your like book picking process and like the yeah. experience of reading the first couple chapters. Like, was it easy to get into the book? Like, are you, do you feel like you really want to finish it? Or I you, definitely like, tried the genre and maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, the, the search took like, I think a week and a half. Like nothing was really calling me at first. And like, I was trying to wrap my head around what speculative fiction was in general. Right. Like, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't sure if this like, is a really specific genre I but you know I wasn't sure and my initial thought was maybe I would do some alternative history uh, novel but when I was looking into those it just didn't feel like the right time to do that I think with all the distortion of reality that we're experiencing now it just didn't like it kind of hit too close to home I was like yeah. I don't really want to go down this <laughs> route you too know stressful yeah yeah and so then when I was like checking out recommendations for Afrofuturist books this book caught my eye because I loved the idea of just starting in a world where the western civilization as we know it has just completely imploded and the countries and regions that the Western world just looked at as a commodity is now in power. And I, that was, I love that. I want to read more about that because I, I think that is a reality that could totally play out at any yeah. point. I remember Beyonce having some, I think it was a music video where some catastrophic event happened in the U.S. and people were trying to cross into the Mexican border and you know it was like a what if scenario and I know that sounds possibly trite you know like or just really silly coming from like Americans just being like oh my god what a crazy idea could you imagine <laughs> but I I feel like in order to really come to the table of discussing international affairs with an empathetic eye you have to put yourself in those positions and think of those realities because anything could happen you know yeah it's, just well, like having a disability that can happen to you at any point in your life. You it know? makes me think, too, just like kind of how arbitrary the countries that are in power right now are and that anything could just happen on a dime. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the empathy thing is super interesting that you brought up. Like, I didn't choose to be born in America. And sure, I like it. But it's not like other people yeah. chose to not be born in America. And it's like, it's very arbitrary. Right. 
and the privilege that just, comes with that yeah too. Yeah, yeah yeah acknowledging the privilege and realizing that other people's experiences are different based on the way society is as it is now and it could change at any moment oh anytime i think mm-hmm. that's the weird thing in our generation we don't i think we're the first generation in a long time that doesn't think about that hmm. when our parents were growing up the map on the wall right now was not the same the ussr existed a lot of countries have changed since then. When our grandparents were growing up, World War II was happening. There was the Ottoman Empire existed when my grandpa was alive, you know. So we haven't had to think about it, but I think every generation before us has. Mm-hmm. So it is weird to think like something's going to happen at some point in our lifetimes. It's just a matter of when and that yeah. what like, and who. The lines or yeah, know, or who's in power could change. Yeah. Well, and I feel like you can get a false sense of comfort from the fact, like when you're like, oh, so much, we haven't had anything in a while and you, you get out of practice, like you're saying. And I think sometimes too, like, you know how people would be like, it's, it's 2019. How are we saying these things? (laughs) It's 2020. How are we still having this conversation? Like each year, I feel like we've done that for at least five or six years now, like where I can imagine, like, I remember people doing it continually. And it's just opening my eyes that, like, we're not as evolved in a, like, large pot that we think we are, like, where we can just solve all these issues diplomatically and, you know, everything will be fine. That's a great idea. I, like, I want to be there, but I also see that that may not be how things flawed, And, yeah, that's not... There's always going to be power dynamics that don't let that happen. Yeah. I mean, it makes Mm -hmm. me think this is like really throwing it back. But people in the Roman Empire, when they were living, they didn't know anything different than the Roman Empire being the biggest power in the world for centuries. And it also collapsed. Like, (laughs) oh, my gosh. I don't know if I ever told you all, but my eighth grade English teacher she served us some truth that our little middle school brains weren't ready for. Like one time she looked around the room. Like I think some of the guys were being like just obnoxious one day. And one of them said something and she looked at the women and she was like, you have my condolences and just like moved on. But she had this comment one day about the length of time for civilizations. And she was like, yeah, you know, we've been around for like over whatever many years at the point and was like, we're, we're probably due for like, a collapse and it's like so anyway back to chapter three and yeah, I'm like, right. excuse me can we go back to that what did you just say <laughs> like america's a pretty Rewind, young nation please. compared to others in the history mm, of so young civilizations yeah. we're just teenagers really we're just babies yeah no that's super interesting I don't I think I'm like you Lisa it's not something that I typically would pick up but I find the concepts when other people are discussing them very intriguing yeah oh and I will say I am very much enjoying reading this so far the only reason why I haven't finished is I just I I go in every day thinking I'm gonna read before bed and I just pass (laughs) out like so it's, it's nothing yeah it's nothing against the book I'm really enjoying it and I feel like I'm reading quicker than I thought I would be so I I really recommend checking it out. And the one thing I will say, I'm kind of curious how the other titles I was looking at for this genre are at the bookstores. But there were a lot where like you had to order it online because so many stores would list it on their website but didn't have any in stock. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was if this is like a small publishing press or if this is because of the genre and like is it racism like I don't know like I I don't know yeah why that is a small I, enough section that they don't keep them on the shelves yeah I don't have any words for it Something but if there's more about. demand yeah they'll carry that they'll carry books if there's more demand we need to get out there but and the, read those afro yeah. <laughs> exactly afro it's chicken and the books. egg yeah. yeah like how are you gonna f- read outside the genres you're comfortable with if you don't get exposure to them you know like yeah and I enjoyed watching you go through the through the motions of like trying to find a book in a genre that you've never like looked into before yeah and like doing research and not just going to the bookstore but actually like ordering something and having the bookstore get it for you because that's Mm -hmm. what you wanted it's uh, cool because the, the reviews for the book are really great and people are talking about how the author just like really honed in on the nuances 
of so many different African cultures. And mm-hmm. I can tell where my knowledge is limited, where like yeah. there there's some instances where I'm like, I bet that's something and like, I don't realize it, you know, so it, it's inspiring to me to then go like Google search and be like, okay, yeah, teach me more about Nigerian culture, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So highly recommend a great example cool. of like getting outside your comfort zone with the book bingo. Yeah, I was very skeptical going into it, but it was worth it. So awesome. So this is Jamie. Jamie's going next. Hello. <laughs> hey, Jamie. I had nice um, to meet you. <laughs> I don't know. People don't know. I had Black Indigenous People of Color food writing. Hell and yeah. I had the exact opposite problem of Lisa. Mm. I like did not know. When I thought food writing, I think of like cookbooks. Mm-hmm. that's like my knowledge of food writing <laughs> i didn't realize there was actually like a lot more to food like writing a whole like, genre you know yeah. a whole genre of books so i used the library's website to see what their picks were and it was very hard for me to get down to just one book mm, very one. hard yeah. and then i did and i had my heart set on this one book and i put a hold on it at the library and then it came to this Monday and I still didn't have the book. And I was like, I have three days. Like, I just need to pick a different book at this point. So if we do a part two on yours, I would love to, like, read this book that I really yeah. wanted to read. Because it was, I'm just going to call it out even though I haven't read it at all. And it could not be great, but I'm sure it's great. But it was called In BB's Kitchen. And it's recipes and stories of grandmothers from the eight African countries that touch the Indian Ocean. So it's all East Africa. And I studied abroad. I lived in Tanzania for six months. And there's a lot of recipes. There's a couple that I can still cook, like Chipsy Mai, which is pretty easy. But stuff like Ugali. I know you guys don't know what these words mean. But... There's like a lot of foods that are staples that I can't make anymore. Even like chapati, which is different than like Indian chapati bread, but like African chapati, like there's just a lot of recipes that I have been wanting to like relearn Mm because I didn't cook when I get back home. So I was really excited for that. Didn't happen. But the book that I ultimately went with was a great pick and it's called Buttermilk Graffiti. A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine by Edward Lee. After the first book fell through, there were kind of two I was going back and forth with. And I ultimately went with this one because the way that Edward splits it out is it's basically, I would call it like a food guide. And he is a Korean American chef. And each chapter is a different city and state in America that he's traveled to and his thing is he's really fascinated by unlikely couplings because he is a Korean American food chef who grew up in Brooklyn and you can read about his life and background in his first book which is called Smoke and Pickles and it's all about how he went from an American child Korean immigrants and now he is a southern food chef in Louisville Kentucky um that's why it's called buttermilk graffiti is because he explains it much better than I'm about to but alone the two words kind of mean nothing but together two very like different words and different like they put different pictures in your brain kind of describe him he's fascinated by other unlikely couplings that make up America and the American dream specifically American immigrant dream and he's really kind of focuses on Yes, how people cook the dishes. And after each chapter, there's two or three like recipes. But he cares a lot more about why this person has made this particular dish. Cool. And one thing that I did like is in the introduction, he goes on this little rant that I didn't think of, but I actually kind of loved. So all his recipes don't include any photographs. And he went on this rant because, first of all, he's like, you are not a chef and that's fine you shouldn't have to worry about the plating it only matters that what I'm teaching you right here to cook tastes good so you shouldn't have to care about what it looks like and also a lot of times I've definitely run into this myself when you're cooking something 
and you have this picture of what it's supposed to look like. When it doesn't look like that, it doesn't matter if the food tastes amazing. You still, part of you kind of feels like a failure. Yes. He's like, I don't want anyone leaving this feeling like any kind of failure because you even attempted these dishes. And some of these dishes are super out there. Mm -hmm. So I really liked that. I yeah. love his reasoning behind it. No, it I do too. And he's, yeah, he it makes me think of like writer. cooking for performance versus like cooking for the, like the quality of the food and the experience. You know? Yeah, but he's definitely very much here for the experience. So I'll just break it down a little bit. I am going to read a couple excerpts because that's what I like to do. <laughs> but um, And that's what we like you to so, do. <laughs> Most, there's 16 chapters. I also did not finish the book. I literally have one chapter left. Oh, you're so Ugh, close. So sad. So <laughs> I got so close, guys. But what first made me kind of grab this, other than the fact that, like, I love traveling across the United States. I've been to 47 states. Soon it's 48. Very excited to get to all 50. But I've kind of been a lot of places and traveled everywhere. So I was like, oh, I want to see where this book goes and the first one that I noticed is Clarksdale Mississippi which was my little home away from home when I was homeless and heartbroken mm. and lived in uh. like rural Mississippi and I was like well you went to Clarksdale I need to read it picked up the book didn't really pay attention also on that list is Seattle Milwaukee hey. and Indianapolis three of the places that like I so have many called home so yeah. I was like, okay, this is a great choice. So like I said, he's really into unlikely couplings. So like chapter two is all about Lowell, Massachusetts. They talk about like Irish boxing and he kind of, the way his chapters are set up is like two different stories about where he is. So the first story is all about Irish boxing because I guess Lowell, Massachusetts has a history of boxing and a big Irish community. But they also have a huge Cambodian community and more Cambodian restaurants are in Lowell, Massachusetts than all of New York City, which is, I mean, you would never have thought that. So he kind of talks about these two different cultures living in one area. And then at the end, the recipes are a little bit of like a combination of mm. the food. Quick question. Are they recipes that he has learned in each location or he kind of took elements from Both. what he saw there and created his own recipe? Both. Okay. So he'll like go to a restaurant and talk to the chefs, talk to the owners and get some recipes. And then he'll like, he won't give us their exact recipes, obviously, but he'll like pare them down. He'll switch them up and give us a different version. Cool. Okay. Almost. Cool. But yeah, so it was interesting. There's a lot of places that he went to that I've been to or like wrote about that I've been to which was fun but there's also a lot of places that I haven't been to I love how much you can I... learn about a place through the food and I think like yeah food. and I mm -hmm. think he has a really good at least I mean like I said Indy was on there and Seattle was on there so I've lived for extended years and years in these two places so when I was reading through the chapters I would just keep nodding my head and be like, yeah, 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 that's Seattle. <laughs> like, he has a really good way of capturing the cities. So I did, especially for the areas that I haven't been, but there are places that, like, now I know because he got these so well, he probably explained the other ones so well. I don't know what I'm talking about. Mm, I yeah, hear no, you. you. You got, like, a good picture of these places you haven't so, like, been. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read a couple from Seattle just because Yay! But they're okay. little ones. <laughs> The Seattle chapter was interesting because he combined it. The first time he came to Seattle was the day he found out his father died or was dying. Mm -hmm. So he always kind of had this negative view of Seattle or like associated it with the death of his father. So then the second half of the chapter was kind of building Seattle back up in his mind. And they focused on Scandinavian food because I guess Ballard used to have a huge Scandinavian community, yeah. which makes mm -hmm. sense because I've been to like Skull and a couple other places, but I never, I just thought they were like fun bars. I didn't like think about the history behind them. It has a sister city with like a city in Norway. So it's yeah, 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 still got that sense. connection. But he said... By the time I reached Seattle, I was looking forward to going home. When I arrived, it was raining, but it was not like any rain I was accustomed to. It was a downward mist that never stopped. 
The mm-hmm. city smelled like moss and sounded like Gore-Tex. No one used umbrellas. They accepted yep. the rain, not as weather, but as it was. Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. And then the um, rain here is unlike anything else. You think it's going to be your rain that you get everywhere, but they sh- surprise you. And then I had another one that I just like made my mind click. So they're like at this Scandinavian club and he's talking to some people. He's making friends. He seems to make friends with everyone everywhere he goes. So he said her husband, Bob, gaunt and freckled, has little hair left. He's picking out his pancakes and not talking to everyone. He doesn't care much for meeting new people, Sarah explains to me. This is a Scandinavian trait, I am told. It is an aloofness rooted in isolation, not rudeness. If this was the 70s and you came up to us and asked to sit with us, no one would have even looked at you, Sarah said. And then I was like, is that why we have the Seattle freeze? Well, is it okay, all yeah, rooted so in you, Scandinavian like culture of just like... You made a connection in my head. Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't realize that the aloofness was the Scandinavian thing. Me neither. But they but said, yeah, aloofness rooted in isolation. And I'm like, sounds like this the seattle freeze it to is, me mm-hmm. yeah and it's funny yeah the seattle freeze is interesting because it's not rudeness like you you can tell that it's not yeah it's just wanting to like be left wanting alone. to be exactly <laughs> interesting because i always took the freeze as like not being able to progress in friendships beyond a certain point like kind of getting freezed out if exactly. you like yeah. beyond acquaintance yeah. level and i kind of chalked that up to just the amount of like expats basically in the city so that's really interesting um no to hear it's the like tie a with scandinavia I no, was no, no 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 i mean like because so much of seattle is expats like oh. i thought the culture like of that arose from like native seattleites just oh, banding together and freezing yeah out others that's but, kind of what no. i thought too but yeah. it could be because it's based on whatever I these scandinavian have... roots mm-hmm. are that we who came here even though i am technically like four percent scandinavian or whatever like i don't have that you know my versus it being yeah. worked into the culture yeah. of the community you were brought up in yeah, yeah i find it super i never thought about it being like aloofness towards like new people moving here but that also makes sense to me i guess i just to me it feels like each city has its own personality and it's yeah. not so much the people but it's like the city itself has that personality and the people are just personifying it and like seattle to me is that aloofness mm. I could definitely agree with that. Which makes a lot of sense that it is coming from a Scandinavian background, which is very present Mm -hmm. here still. Mm -hmm. There's one thing that I read that I wanted to get your guys' opinions on in this book because I don't remember if he's a child of immigrants or if he came here when he was very young. Now that I say that, I think he moved to America when he was like 10. Mm, So a lot of his book is about the immigrant experience, but also... Like, his wife is from a very heavily German background, but her family's been in America for 200 years. But she knows her heritage and is, like, very... It's all about people being very strong in their culture and their heritage. He says, our food traditions are the last things we hold on to. They're not just recipes. They're a connection to the nameless ancestors who gave us our DNA. That's why our traditional foods are so important. The stories, the memories, the movements that have been performed for generations. Without them, we lose our direction. And I read that and I kind of was envious because he is so closely tied to his identity as a person of Korean heritage. And even though his wife has, her family's been in America forever, they're very strong German heritage. And like, I don't feel like I have that in my life. Like if someone was like, Oh, what's your heritage? What cultural background do you have? I'm like, American? I've always like wanted to know more about my heritage. And I did like 23andMe. And even if I wanted to like get with my ancestral roots, it's like I'm everything. I'm like 40% French and German, 30% Irish and British, 15% Russian, 6% Italian, 4% Scandinavian. I'm everything so he talked a lot in the book about like getting close to your heritage and I both really loved learning about it but also felt jealous of it so I was wondering like and there's look I'm a white woman in America 
I have nothing to complain about. There's like, this is, you know, not a big problem, but it is something that I was curious if you guys, I don't know your heritages as well. So I was wondering if you guys have like any ancestral things that has been passed on to you or like if you also are kind of disjunct from that now. I've always felt very similar to to you, Jamie. I like have always been kind of upset about not knowing much about my family heritage. And it's such a melting pot. Again, I realize how privileged this is. And I understand that like not having a cultural background is not something I should complain about. But I have always felt like I don't have that like family root to hold on to. And feeling very envious. I also am, I've always been super envious of people who've grown up in even states that have, like, huge pride. Like, I never liked people from Michigan or Texas (laughs) or, like, people who just love their states. And I'm like, don't love my state either. Like, (laughs) I love India. I actually wrote that down and I was like, I don't have a pride for whatever, you know, France or England or the 18 countries my ancestors are from. But I do like, I grew up in India and I love Indiana. I spent a lot of my time in Wisconsin. So I'm like, really love Wisconsin. And I got really into like brats and beer and cheese and like, you know, the culture, quote unquote, (laughs) if you can call it a culture of Wisconsin. And that's like all I had to draw on. It's interesting the ways that we find ourselves like having something to hold on to community and culture I think the it's interesting you saying that quote about how food is kind of the last thing we hold on to because like one of the only things I have is that my grandfather was like half Swedish or something and so like making Swedish pancakes is like one of the only foods that we still do and that is like very significant yeah. And every time we'd make them on Saturday mornings, like my mom would talk about like making them with her mom and That's so cute. Like it, it like it is amazing how even without like a strong cultural lineage, like how those kind of little pieces of food can still make their way I, through. Yeah, I'm envious of that even cuz I didn't have that. Like there was no I think my problem was some people care more than others I feel like generally women tend to pass things down especially in the kitchen more than men do also I don't know it depends it depends I learned through an uber driver like in Sudan for example like men carry a lot of cooking traditions as well Nigeria too actually yeah um, my book and my book talks about there was a whole chapter about Nigerian food in um, Houston and they were talking about how the men pass on Nigerian food yeah So it it depends. It depends. Okay, so when it comes to your question, I have always been very jealous of friends and communities that have such a strong cultural ties, but especially when it comes out in either family traditions or Mm -hmm. in culinary traditions. And I I think back on mine because I my ancestry, as far as I know, I've never done like 23andMe, but I do have a relative that has been kind of deep diving into things it's very eurocentric there's like yeah very Um, yeah yeah. and so you know when I was younger too like I know I have Native American ancestry on both sides and on one side of the family some of the cultural traditions have been passed down but I I know of some tribes but I don't want like especially as an adult like I don't want to pretend that that's a stronger tradition like when I was younger too I just like really wanted to connect to that side of my heritage but that's a story for a different day um so anyway so when it comes to culinary traditions I think what has passed down in my family is more like southern cooking and then uh, like I also feel like (laughs) I don't really I don't really know if this works into this but I think of like the socioeconomic class of of my grandparents and before and like both were coming from pretty humble means and so um, yeah. some of those culinary traditions too are very budget friendly as well. Oh, and absolutely. So, you know, like it's, I don't know when I think about it, like, you know, if I'm missing home, there's still a couple recipes that come to mind, but I have always longed for that to be a stronger part of my identity and for that to be a bigger 
tradition in my family than it feels. I just don't, I don't feel as connected to it as I would like to. I think yeah. I need to hit up a certain relative and get some recipes because there's, there are definitely things that have been passed down, but it feels more Southern connected, which obviously has, you know, their roots that die. Yeah. But it's not like, oh, my like, my Scottish roots, like we have this because of that. Like I, right? Um, I, yeah, I haven't really I don't seen have that. Like that. Yeah, either. I don't know. Sometimes I feel silly being like, I'm so jealous of that because every time, like, I feel that, which is like, it's a true feeling. Like I, I don't want to deny it. It's like, think of like the person you are and the position you're coming from. Like, exactly. Like, right. Damn, I'm so <laughs> jealous of that. It's like, yeah, yeah, great, thanks. So this, like. The reason we're holding on to this so much is because like a demographic you represent tries to minimize it and has come in and tried to appropriate yeah. it. And I'm like, yes. you're right. You're right. I'll be quiet yeah. now. I'll be quiet. Yeah. 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 No, I definitely oh. feel that, Lisa. We are yeah. in a way, I guess you could look at it and say we're lucky because we can like make our own traditions, even if they don't come from our great great grandmother or whatever like as individuals yeah like yeah even then I can be like well you know even though 500 years ago my family lived in this Basque area and I don't feel very connected to it I can learn more about that culture and like learn how to make dishes or learn Mm -hmm. and like start my own traditions that's a good point yeah I mean I think of like my own family just like nuclear family traditions and wishing that they were more tradition-y <laughs> but then I have to remind myself that like but I can start a new tradition at any point to carry forward and like sure it's something to like have a feeling and be sad about something like there's merit in being sad for the part of my childhood that I feel like I didn't get but there's always an opportunity to learn yeah. more about my heritage mm-hmm. or to learn recipes from the place that I've come from I don't know like <laughs> You can use that as an opportunity to learn about your Basque heritage. Just because you didn't get it from your grandparents doesn't mean that you've lost it forever. Yeah. This brings up just so many thoughts about like identity. And even, I can't speak from the author's point of view, being an immigrant. Whether or not you're like, I was born in one country and came to America young and then grew up here. Or if you're like, my parents are immigrants, I'm American born and like there can be such a struggle of trying to you you kind of live in both worlds and live in neither at the same time and I can see like food can be that way of like keeping that connection but then if you go back to that country sometimes you know you feel like oh well like maybe I wasn't as connected as I thought I was like I don't uh, like that's more just like from anecdotes that I've heard but it makes me also think of culinary fusions in general and I I personally think they're very exciting but I know there's a whole question of like well who's creating these fusion works and and even like appropriation behind it yeah he does talk um specifically I think it was the chapter about Miami and Cuban food he does talk about fusions because he talks about the guy who actually invented fusions his original ideals behind it and how it was basically like taken and people just ran with it because they were like oh exciting fusions and people just like went crazy for it and then that did end up happening was appropriations I won't go into it further but he does actually talk about fusion specifically and and how troubling they can be and kind of getting it back to their roots Mm, intriguing yeah I liked the book. It was a great yeah, choice. Cool pick. Yeah. Great choice. Food writing. Yeah. Food writing is something I stumbled upon maybe last year. I had never read. Like, I didn't realize that that was a genre that outside no, of I cookbooks that people could write about food, which makes sense if you really think about it. There's <laughs> so much content there. But it's like, oh, like you can enjoy reading about food. But not like I don't really enjoy cooking that much, but you can still I can still enjoy reading about the culture surrounding food. Exactly. And this Mm -hmm. one was fun because it was kind of travel writing and food writing. So, yeah, all of the above. But I think it's time to move on to Miss Lauren. Okay, I was given the topic graphic novels, which was also stepping outside of my comfort zone. Oh, yeah. 
which I really appreciated. But kind of like Lisa and kind of like Jamie, I like researched for a while before I decided what I wanted to read. And then I set my heart on a book and the local bookstore didn't have it in stock. So I put it on reserve at the library and it didn't come in until right before I was going to leave on my trip. And I was like, I'll just get it anyway and see if I have time to read it. But I ended up getting a different book at the bookstore. <laughs> so I have two books to review. Oh, my God. Hell perfect. Yeah. But they're graphic novels, so I read them very fast. So even though I read two books, I could read them each in, like, a sitting. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. But my first kind of little take on graphic novels is that they're really fun. And it's, like, kind of a low-key way to read I like like the different ways that I just like sat at the bookstore for a while, like looking through different ones. And I like that there's so many different ways to do a graphic novel. And I like that artists can kind of play with the storyline based on the way they draw. There are different like drawing styles. As like a very visual person, it's kind of fun to read a story in a more visual format versus just words. The thing I didn't like is that I read them too fast. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, the one I bought, I was like, this is an expensive book to only read for a couple hours. So, oh, gotcha. maybe the library's for me. But <laughs> either way, I did enjoy it. I'm really happy um, you like them, though, because, like, some of the books that you and I have talked about in the recent past, like, like Mari Andrews, like, it it's not exactly a graphic novel, but it has a lot of graphic yeah. artistry in it. And I was like, I feel like this might be a nice departure, you know? Definitely. And as I've been, I mean, a lot of the picks that I've picked in the last couple months have been more, I would call like alternate versions of books in the way that it's like kind of expanding my own horizon as far as like what a book can be and what writing can be and how you can tell your story in a way that's not just like black and white words on a page. So I appreciate seeing like other versions. So yeah. one that I, the first one I'll talk about is a fiction book. The other one is an autobiography. So it's kind of cool oh. too to like get two different versions of books also. So the first one I want to talk about, this one's called The Hard Tomorrow by Eleanor Davis. And this is a fiction book, as I said. It's about the main character, Hannah, and her husband, Johnny. And as the title suggests, it's called The Hard Tomorrow Again. It's about kind of like looking for hope while also kind of like living in the sh kind of shitty reality that is called life. Mm. <laughs> so I thought it was like a really good representation of like how complicated and hard life can be while also like looking for hope in the future. Like, for instance, in the very beginning, it's clear that Hannah and her husband are, like, trying to get pregnant. And it, like, you can kind of already tell that it's not really going well. And so that kind of juxtaposition between, like, wanting to have a baby and, like, start a family. But also, like, it's really hard and it's not really working. And the world that they're living in is kind of tough. And they're not really sure if they want to, like, bring a kid into this mm. world. And they're, like, living out of their truck which we've had a friend do that I can't imagine like a couple doing that but they're like building a house and Hannah's husband is like not building it as fast as she wants it to but she like so it's like that kind of hard place of like really loving her husband but she's like kind of upset that he's like not <laughs> building their house fast enough she also like She's a home health worker for, like, an elderly patient who they say in the book is an anti-Semite, which implies that, like, she's Jewish or has Jewish oh, heritage. Mm -hmm. And then also she's, like, an anti-war activist. <laughs> like, all these different elements, which just kind of, like, portrays how complicated everyone's life is. Like, you're doing this thing and this thing, and you're an anti-war activist, and also you work for an elderly person. I guess I didn't realize until I was, like, about halfway through that the book is set in the future a couple years. Mm. But, like, the protests she's going to remind me so much of the BLM protests we went to last summer. Like, protesting, like, police brutality. And they, like, mention, like, tear gas and stuff. I'm like, wow, you really, like, yep. <laughs> hit the nail on it. the head. It was written in 2019. But it was just, it was really good. And it was a quick read. I really, like, jumped into it really fast. 
and I really enjoyed it. And then the second one, this one is called Dancing After 10, which is the one that I really wanted to read. And I really enjoyed both of them for different reasons. But this one is an autobiographical book about a woman, the author Vivian Chong. She's like on vacation at some point and takes, she thinks ibuprofen. She's not really sure, but she has this rare skin disorder reaction to the medication that she took called 10 toxic mm. epidermal necrolysis oh shit which forms scars all over her body and including oh in her eyes and so it renders her blind oh my god it's like oh it's god. super bizarre i was like googling the condition which i did not want to see the images should have just stuck to the drawings <laughs> but it's like her experience of She's like, she's an artist, she's a musician, she plays in a rock band, and then all of a sudden she's like rendered blind. And like her experience of having to live after this like totally freak condition. And at some point she is able to get an eye transplant, a cornea transplant, and so that's successful. And she can see for two weeks, and then the scars continue to grow over the new eyes, so she is rendered blind again. But in that what? two week, <laughs> it's literally, it's an insane story and it's real. She, in the two week period, starts drawing her like experience oh of going blind, which sets off like wow. creating this book. She starts thinking like, I have to record my story. And she was an, art an artist in yeah. her previous life. She's like, I have to draw this experience. While I'm reading it, I kind of noticed that there are two different kinds of drawings. And I thought mm. that, like, the sketchier ones were, like, because the storyline kind of jumps back and forth. It's, like, present tense and then past. And then I was, like, well, maybe the sketchier drawings are, like, her memories. And it's kind of portraying, like, memory not being as clear. I come to find out towards the end, which, like, sure, it's a spoiler. It doesn't, like, ruin the experience of the book. But, like, I, I realized that she drew, like, half the drawings in the book herself. And then she hired a graphic designer to kind of help her oh. with the rest. But there, at the end, there's, like, a inception kind of moment where <laughs> it's, like, her drawing the drawings of her creating the book in Ooh. the book. <laughs> Yeah, which is really cool and it's like the process of her like finding someone to help her draw the book and she talks about how like they were able to like I don't know if they did like raise drawings so she could kind of feel the drawing but she was a very much a part of like how the drawings looked in the end even though her vision's gone and it's a lot of like figuring out her figuring out how to like adapt to a whole new world of not being able wow. to see but her story is super inspiring because she ends up like she starts trying all these new things <laughs> she does wow. like swimming she does yoga and it like shows her going up to the yoga instructor and being like hey can you just like really explain like each move very descriptively and I don't think she even says that she's blind she's just like I need <laughs> need you to like very explicitly explain what's happening she had never been to yoga before and she goes oh, blind no. which is incredible she like continues to draw as a blind person she's like i don't even know what i'm drawing but i'm just like having a great time Love it. <laughs> she starts doing stand-up like it's really an incredible story and i want to learn more about her as a person but the book what the was book her was name great. again her name's vivian chong it was this super, her book. story was very inspiring to me, and I've heard that it's inspiring to people who have gone through different types of disability and had oh, to I'm relearn sure. how to live life in a different way, but still, like, be playful and, like, learn new things just in a different way. She's currently, I guess, trying to figure out how to, like, convey the same story in an audible format oh. for people who are blind. This sounds so fantastic. I, I'm in awe yeah. um, of her finding the silver linings and everything and just having such a positive mindset, enjoying life to its fullest, like even after going blind. It's I, I just feel like I take for granted having functioning limbs oh, and absolutely. being able to see and being able to taste and smell and hear like 
it's <laughs> life is can change so quickly and I don't know it's just so like easy to just feel like the where you are right now if you are able-bodied and aren't dealing with the disability that you know of like that it'll be that way forever but like it's not like she like had any indication that she would get this no, disease was, you know yeah, it was like a totally a freak incident yeah, yeah. that rendered her blind almost overnight and like put her in the hospital for weeks and she's oh. not like the second half of the book is more about her jo- her joy and like finding new ways to like figure it out but she's very real about how hard it was to mm-hmm. transition into this new life like she there's a part about like getting a home caretaker and the home caretaker is like well you're not elderly and she's like just because I'm not elderly doesn't mean I don't need help at home like she's also like living in Canada away from her parents she's Chinese I'm assuming her parents live in China and are like kind of constantly calling her and like you should come home and live with us and she's like but I love Canada and I want to continue living here this is Mm -hmm. my home but also acknowledging how hard it is to be apart from family throughout an experience like that like she's not shy about the fact that it was really really hard for her which is great I yeah I'm (laughs) yeah I really want to read this I'm just like I don't even know what to say I'm just like speechless I want to read it it just makes me think of a woman I know who lost her leg in a car accident Mm -hmm. and like when she was sharing the story she was like you know like some people have a grieving period and I was just ready for the next step and I my jaw was literally dropped at just her positivity and just being able to accept the reality and be ready to like move on to like now how do we make the best of it and Mm -hmm. she has so much like vivaciousness and (laughs) I I I just like fully see that I am not there you know (laughs) and it's like and it's it's very humbling but also eye-opening of like a growth opportunity in myself because that could happen at any point and like if it ever does like I want to be in a mental state where like even after the grief of like going through the loss of whatever able-bodiedness you had previously like I want to be able to come out in that positive perspective side you know I was about to say the same exact thing like I don't know what the exact word is resilience spirit I loved the word vivaciousness I don't know what it is that like can make people bounce back like that but I definitely don't have it and it's definitely something that I need to work on cultivating not that well not that any I was gonna say not that I plan on any having to ever use it but not that anyone plans on anything ever happening but But I have I mean I would not be okay like I would not handle this well I'm even inspired by like the fact that she got an a cornea transplant and in the only two weeks that she could see not well but she could see a little bit better than she had been instead of choosing to like travel or do whatever she's like I'm gonna draw for the I only have like this um, short amount of time and I'm gonna use it to like draw and tell my story I find that so like using whatever time you have I don't know (laughs) it's just it's so inspiring yeah that's so interesting too because I'm trying to put myself in a position of like what would I do and I like I feel like there are a couple options you know like one is like I'm just gonna go travel and see everything I can see but I like how she took this opportunity and is like I'm gonna share my story as long as I can visually see it and like in a way, like, you know, it's still you sharing your story with the world, but it feels kind of selfless, too. Or maybe it's like it's almost an investment in the time. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't have a right way to yeah. describe that either. Yeah. But. And it's cool the way that they like, again, the like kind of visualness of graphic novels is kind of special in this way that she could have told her story in a text format. And I'm sure it would have had like a huge effect but it has even more of a like cool effect that her own drawings are interwoven in this graphic novel with another artist drawings that she was able to work with and they like kind of seamlessly intermix in a way Mm. that's like really beautiful that is so awesome and what 
What an interesting proposition for that artist that worked oh, with her yeah. as what well. What an honor, like, too, I'm sure, to be yeah. like, I don't know if they knew each other what the history was, but to be, like, chosen as the eyes for this person is, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It does make me think of Monet as well, because, like, Monet's paintings over time get progressively blurrier and change, like, in color tone, and it was basically a huge like journey of documentation of him losing his vision Mm -hmm. and there's something so poetic about that and so beautiful in a very melancholic way and I think of this novel in it like and even seeing the juxtaposition of her drawing and just being like I you know I don't even know how this looks versus in artist that's working with her who has to choose what type of style like where to meet her uh, deviate from her like wow really poetic glad you liked the choice of graphic novel (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's one I'm probably will stick with I enjoyed it I may not spend $25 on a graphic novel every week (laughs) but I do go through them fast, but they are books, if they're, like, really beautifully drawn, are books that, like, you could go back to over and over again. It's like a book of 100 drawings. Yeah. Which, in and of itself, is worth way more than $25. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. All right. This probably wraps up bingo for us for the summer. Other than getting the update from Lisa and maybe Jamie later. (laughs) This has been fun. I don't know. How do you guys feel about bingo? I really enjoyed it. Lauren's um, almost to bingo. She's just got one left. I have, yeah, I've got to read a left. beach read, which I think I can do. Yeah. We can get you there. <laughs> That's like you yeah. needing like a layup at the end. Just like, oh, yeah. and I got to find this super easy book to read. <laughs> I have a book on my list. Yeah, I, I think bingo for me has been a good way. I think in COVID, my reading really took a halt. Mm-hmm. And I think in the last couple of months, this has been the like kickstart that I needed to like kind of find some books that really. You were also it. studying for many exams. Well, yeah. this is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Forgot about that. You were reading a lot, just different things. Too. This is also <laughs> less true. fun things. Yeah. But, but I think it's true, I, though. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the books I was picking up just weren't books that I was feeling excited about reading at night. And I feel like the last couple books, I'm like super pumped to go to bed because that means I can read for like an hour. And yeah. like that's just such a good way to end the day to be excited about that. Totally. Yeah. Happy for you. Yeah. <laughs> hey. All right. With that, guys, we will. Yeah. Stay tuned for we've got some. Week exciting topics coming up tell your friends if you have any book recommendations dm us (laughs) we're up for that yeah (laughs) and please write a review we would love if you wrote a review that would really help us in growing our little baby podcast (laughs) and share with a friend yeah see you next week Bye. bye Thanks for listening. Links from today's episode can be found in the show notes on our website, whatyourreadanddo.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you have anything that piqued your interest or you want to share, email us at wrdpod at gmail.com. Maybe we'll feature you on the pod. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and also on Instagram at wrdpod. Follow us to stay up to date on future episodes. Like, leave a review, tell a friend. You get the idea. Music for this podcast was created by Kalindo. Find him on Instagram at The Real Kalindo. Stay inspired, and we'll see you next week.